Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. This podcast was originally published on the week of April 27th and runs for approximately 35 minutes. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dave Turner, and I want to welcome you back to Seat Yourself. I'm your host here at Seat Yourself, and by now, as you probably know, Seat Yourself is our weekly podcast covering the world of hospitality. We're back here in Studio B this week, and we're back with another segment in our mini-series, On the Front Lines. This is our sixth episode in our On the Front Lines mini-series. The conversations in this mini-series, they're focused on the journey that we're all on during this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. And in On the Front Lines, we're bringing you the thoughts and the commentary from industry experts from all corners of our listening audience. And by now, in many parts of the world, people in the hospitality industry are starting to loosen up their lockdown protocols, or at least preparing to quote-unquote reopen, which is great news to everyone. And we'll be talking about just that in today's episode, and we're joined again by Greg Kirish from the Chicago area. Greg joined us approximately a month ago, and you may remember him telling us what life was like at that moment on the ground in the Chicago hospitality industry. Well, today, we're going to have a different type of conversation with Greg. Today, with Greg joining us, we want to have a discussion about the, what the first stages of these reopenings may look like. And we'll be looking ahead as we head into the slow walk loosening of the lockdowns in the various markets in the U.S. and all around the world. And we'll also be talking about the survivability of mom and pops. That's an important issue in this business. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Greg Kirish back to Seat Yourself and our On the Front Lines miniseries. Hey, everybody. Welcome, Greg Kirish, to Seat Yourself and On the Front Lines, our mini-series about what's happening in the world of uh, hospitality these days. Greg, welcome. Hi. Good to be with you, Dave. Some of you listeners out there may know Greg as part of our team from our other podcast, Every Other Thursday. And Greg, uh, if you could, there's probably some listeners who are just uh, tuning in for the first time uh, and may not know your background, which is really extensive. And you've been in this industry for a long time doing lots of different cool things. Why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about your background and who you are and what you've been up to in these past few years in the food service business? Thanks, Dave. There's, there's not too much in food service that I haven't touched somewhere along the line. I've worked uh, in uh, brand management with craft uh, and uh, marketing with uh, Sara Lee. Um, I was, uh, did acquisition work uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and food service ex- uh, development work with uh, Carrie. I was the vice president of uh, sales and marketing for the National Restaurant Show here in Chicago. I was a consultant doing strategy and market research work with Technomic and, and a lot of other jobs. Uh, I was uh, also in the uh, equipment business with uh, Fetco and Carrie. A lot of people don't know that at one time, at least Carrie uh, was big into equipment. And... Um, that just kind of makes me a little bit uh, dangerous, I guess. I, 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 I guess I know a little bit about a lot of things, and so uh, I have a lot of opi- I have a lot of opinions and uh, and contacts. So uh, this that that makes it it, it fun, and uh, I hopefully I can pass along some uh, good information and advice to people along the way. 
Well, as part of our Every Other Thursday team, uh, we love to have you in those roundtable discussions because you really bring a lot of uh, a lot of insight. It in, in it's most of it is just a result of the wide breadth of experience that you have. You've been with not only operating operations ends, you've been with big companies, small companies. You've been with trade show organizations, obviously the National Restaurant Association, one of the largest trade shows in our industry in the world. Uh, so we love all that experience and we love to tap into it. And uh, this morning on Seat Yourself on our On the Front Lines mini series that we've started, we want to tap into it in a very special way. Uh, some of you listeners may recall that Greg joined us uh, about a month ago and Greg was then, and that episode was talking about what was going on on the streets in the Chicago suburbs at that time. Well, today's gonna to be a little different conversation. We wanna uh, talk to Greg this morning about everybody's starting to open up again. The restaurants are, Georgia is opening up today. As a matter of fact, the state of Georgia, restaurants can open up. But we wanna talk about some of those initial protocols that they may be uh, struggling with, restaurateurs may be struggling with, and guests might be expecting to see when they go back to restaurants for the very first time. And then we want to also talk about the future uh, of mom and pop restaurants. I know there's been a lot of emphasis on chains, Greg, uh, uh, in the in the press lately. But I want to talk uh, in the second half of our program this morning. I want to talk about uh, mom and pops and how what you think the future is for them. So uh, back to protocols for a second. Today's opening day in Georgia for restaurants. What will if I go to a restaurant in Atlanta? What would I be expecting to see? Do you think? Well, I guess the most important thing is that uh, that everybody's trying to practice is uh, social distancing. So, how do you keep people separated, and you know, as they walk in and as they're seated, and then all the um, the hygiene, the disinfection, uh, disinfecting that uh, has to take place before and after each each uh, each each seating. It's a uh, uh, there was a there was an article in the uh, New York Times where. Um, David Chang, uh, a quote of his is that when he thinks about everything that has to be done, it makes his brain bleed, and it, it's it is overwhelming. Yeah, it's a pretty extensive list, and I I, I think the, of things that restaurateurs and operators have to consider, whether you're a chain or an independent, it really doesn't matter. I I think the the whole issue to me would be as a guest is. As soon as I walk through the door, I'm going to make some assessment of how safe I feel in that environment. Um, and the question is, how do you reassure and, and, and regain the, the dining guest's uh, confidence, I guess? Uh, and it, it will start with everything from uh, uh, probably check-in for your reservation if you have one. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, you want to, the, the, the things that are going to, because the optics are so important, you have to do things that are going to be very visible and make, and make people feel comfortable, uh, despite, regardless of how important they are in the whole, there are, every, every step is important, but uh, there's a hierarchy. And even if it's, a, even if it's low on the totem pole, uh, if, they, if, it, if it has big optics, uh, uh, it, it's, it's important. You know, you know. For example, do, you know, is it is it important for the guests to see the staff actually wiping down the menus, or you know, or or just or just tossing away the menu, or tossing away the menus? Uh, you know, all these things where the where the guests can see that actions are being taken are so important. Yeah, I I, I was thinking about uh, talk about the employees first, just for a second. You know, one of the things that I keep hearing is about uh, employee welfare 
And also employee health, um, not only for their own sake, but for the guest's sake as well. How do you, how, how do you think uh, uh, some of the restaurants will convey that they've checked their employees out? And what do you think some of the ways that, that uh, uh, operators can convince uh, dining guests that their employees are safe to interact with? Because in the hospitality business, you know, if I'm a sommelier uh, selling wines or even even uh, just a server, uh, I'm going to be pretty close in a close proximity to that guest. The, a very simple step, I think, might be the same thing that's been happening all along here is that uh, a, a signage out, out in front and at the table and, you know, in various places saying these are the precautions that we are taking you know, with our, with our employees, you know, we're, uh, the kind of practices that they're, that they're, that they're undergoing. And, you know, I, I, and I guess this is a, you know, a stretch, but thinking about stuff like if, if employees are wearing masks, you know, if there's, is there some way like the, the design of the mask can be, um, uh, for lack of a better term branded so that, you know that that there's a that there's a time like yeah time stamp on on it. You know, like from you know the the, the mask might have the uh, uh, the words uh, ten till noon on there, and then you know that you know that 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 that, that mask has been that mask has been changed. It's just a, a, you know it's 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 similar but different than like coffee. We go in and you can tell you can in some uh, cafes and uh, fast casual where they actually have the uh, the time stamp on the coffee when it was when it was last brewed. Hey, this is the same thing same thing for qual for quality and uh, aprons. You know. Hey, what you know has has this been has this been changed? Which brings up some tabletop things. It's like uh, whether the um, uh, tablecloth is actually linen or paper, and even I would suggest that even places where they didn't use uh, paper uh, table mats or table uh, or, or table covers, uh, that they start using them because then it, the the guest knows that that has been changed. It's been it's take it's been taken out there's a lot of discussion right now i've seen about flatware for instance as few things that you use on a table uh, and, and when you're dining in a restaurant that's more intimate that you get more intimate with than the flatware and the cutlery that you use and i see now that uh, a lot of people are recommending to put it into plastic bags stainless steel cutlery and plastic bags I wonder if uh, initially even uh, even sit down restaurants may be going to disposable. To your point on the on the placemats and everything, going to disposable uh, cutlery. It's a very real possibility. I think you know that the the um, the jury is still out on, on on all these things. You know, and then you know several I guess a month or two ago, when we before uh, all this crisis really uh, manifested itself, we were. Um, talking about all these products every week on our uh, every other Thursday podcast and I brought the the idea about cloches and at the time you know it was a stretch you know I I, I, I advocated cloches because of the drama they bring to the to the meal and they do have a lot of um, uh, practical aspects well now the practical aspects are or are more than the theatrics you know they, they help uh, assure, the uh, the guests that the that uh, the product has not been contaminated. So if things come over uh, plates or you know family style uh, 
platters with a glass cover or the butter now dish has a cover or the uh, bread basket has a cover uh, you still get the nice op the nice optics from the from the from the style but also there's a very uh, important aspect that this thing is covered it has it's less chance of it being contaminated sure so i, I, I think i think there's going to be a lot of those kind of um uh, tabletop product aspects. Yeah, I, th I think the tabletop, in a certain way, becomes uh, one of the most important elements in the whole dining experience all of a sudden, uh, even more so. We've always said for a long time that tabletop matters, but it matters from uh, more of an experiential kind of approach. Now it's going to matter more from a safety and a uh, protocol approach, making sure that the customer feels like the food is safe and that their their experience is going to be a safe experience in addition to being a, uh, a great dining experience. You know, as, as we've walked down this path, I just want to make, the, make a point that there is a cost to all this. I know that restaurateurs are uh, and are are really anxious to get to get going again, and there's many that have you know survived or are barely surviving based on takeout and and uh, and 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 home delivery, and they want to get the people into their dining room. But there's a there again there is a cost to all these things we're talking about now and are going to be talking about, and I just would urge operators to put pen, pencil to paper and figure out what these costs are because they might find that getting diners the guests into their operations in these early phases with all the protocols needed might be more expensive than not bringing them in because they don't want to dig themselves deeper into into a hole yeah i i think that what we've seen is so far is sort of a hodgepodge of protocols and nothing very specific. There's no, he, these are the six things you must do. Even the ones, even Georgia, which uh, has issued some protocols, some guidelines, uh, it still leaves a lot uh, uh, up to the individual operators. And I think Anytime, I mean, listen, let's talk about the protocols, just having uh, training, retraining your staff to the new levels of uh, new culinary standards that you have for, for safety and cleanliness and hygiene. And uh, I think just doing that is an investment that the operator is going to have to make. Secondly, when you talk about whether it's going to uh, disposable tablecloths or, or placemats or disposable napkins, that's going to be, a, again, an additional cost for a lot of people. Um, I, so you're right. I, I think making sure that your 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 staff is healthy that's going to be an additional cost as well. And what what I'm also looking at when I when I think about the cost, the, the flip side of that is the menus. Uh, I suspect the menus are going to get much simpler, at least in the early going, uh, for a lot of these restaurants. They're not going to have these full extensive menus. I can't imagine they are. They're very complicated. I would think there'd be some pretty basic foods that maybe come from the old menus that you know, because, I mean, let's face it, most restaurants have built, their brand is built around the menu that they have. I think it's a pretty complicated decision whether to open up or not, and certainly costs are a major part of that. Yeah, and and and, and uh, the broader issue of value, uh, there, you know, because there, there's, what, 30 million Americans unemployed or, or thereabouts, and um, money's, money's an issue. And, you know, what are people willing to pay and what are they willing to pay for? 
you know, you could just throw out, uh, flippantly say, comfort food. Does that make sense? And um, there's a, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, there's going to be a lot of. Uh, all we can do here is throw out some ideas and some cautions, and I think there's just going to be a lot of a t- a testing that has to be take. It has to take place. To be honest, I, I think whether you're an independent or a chain, I think the first phase that you're going to have to go through uh, here is that uh, rebuilding trust and confidence with your dining guests and, and, and frankly, your employees, too. Uh, if you're going to get your employees to come back to work, they're not going to come back likely for uh, to work in what they might consider to be unsafe conditions. So they, the employees want to know they're going to be safe, too. So you're going to have to get the protocol of checking the health of your uh, of your employees is one thing, but you're going to, in certain way, have to check at least minimally the health of your guests coming in too, because the employees don't want to be uh, being contaminated from guests coming in. I think there is a phase one of however long you want to see it as rebuilding that trust factor uh, that you're safe uh, place to dine in. Then, then we'll see. Well, then we'll start maybe reverting back to different pieces of the experiential part of dining out. Uh, I think people. I think there is a pent up demand to go to restaurants. I, there's no question about that. But, but again, I don't want to. My 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 pent up demand to go to uh, go out and eat in the restaurants is not going to uh, over uh, override. Uh, I want to be safe if, when I do it. So that's the first step. Second step will be uh, giving me a better dining experience. And then that value component that you just mentioned, Greg, is through, runs underneath all of that, I believe. Because you're right. Money is uh, money. is money. Talk about menus for a second. Uh, and a lot of uh, sit-down restaurants, let's say, uh, from fast casual on up, have, have really uh, expanded into takeout in ways that they never dreamt they ever would with much simpler menus, carry out, takeaway, whatever. Uh, do you see that continuing? I think so. We're, you know, streamlined operations, things that make sense, where people can make, uh, make, make money. Quite frankly, you know, if is 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 it simple enough to to make? What are the ingredient costs? I think mean, more than ever, uh, the operator is really going to have to uh, look at all the at all these as, at all these aspects, and and to think through the entire uh, process from uh, obviously from get, can can I even get the ingredients to uh, and and the cause because and now what they're saying with, with for example protein with meat all the meat plants are shutting down uh, what what does that mean and um, okay so then the, the, then there's the there's the storage there's the cooking and then there's the delivery to the table and so back to my cloche idea that uh, so the the, the waitstaff brings it out to the table on a tray and then they set it on the table you know. Uh, if it's just an open plate on the tray that they would, as they would usually carry it out, what is that? What is that? You know, that the optics might be very bad on that, on, on that. And, and just from, and it might be quite frankly in this environment, unsanitary. So how do you cover it, deliver it to the table and then uncover it? I mean, these are all things that have to be thought through. From begin- so I urge everybody to think through these things that were once taken for granted. Good advice. Good advice. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I, Greg, I want to talk to you about independent operators. Uh, are they going to be the, the real survivors in all of this? Or is it going to be the chain business? And, and if indie restaurants, independent owned restaurants, 
are to survive, what do they have to do? So we'll be right back with Greg Kirish. Uh, this is Seat Yourself and On the Front Lines. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Donna Company. Everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And if you're not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's quick and easy to sign up and a great way to stay on top of all the important goings-on in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody, we're back here on Seat Yourself and our On the Frontline miniseries. Uh, we're here today with Greg Kiris. Greg is part of our team on our other podcast, Every Other Thursday. And Greg, welcome back. Uh, in our first segment, we talked about the initial protocols and what some of them might look like. Uh, as we, as a lot of markets, Georgia, we talked a lot about Georgia being uh, opening up today. Um, but I want to, in this second segment, I want to talk about mom and pop restaurants. And are they going to survive the shutdown? Uh, I know there's a lot of talk on chains and protocols and everything, but what about a mom and pop operation, Greg? What are your thoughts on some of that? Well, I think a lot of, of individual mom and pops are going to go under. However, the category, I think, will exist. And I, I, I think that we're writing, a lot of people are writing um, its obituary too soon. I think that, yeah, it's going to suffer in the short term, but I think in the long term, it is going to come back to, uh, to, to uh, come back strong because there are just because of all the opportunities that it 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 provide it provides for people to to start their own little businesses. Well, I think one of the things that I like about mom and pops is is that they have control uh, versus chains. Chain if you've got 40, 50, 100, 500 units, it's harder to control the units, uh, individual units, than it would be if you have just one location or maybe a couple of locations. So from a, a control standpoint, I think it's easier. But I think, to your point, a lot won't survive. And I think it, to me, whether you're a supplier to restaurants or you're a restaurateur in general, you need to have a strong balance sheet now or you need to have access to increased liquidity because I think staying liquid, being able to pay your bills, uh, uh, that's going to be a big component uh, going forward. And I, and I know we talked about the uh, the urge to rush to open and the costs associated with that. And I think, I think everybody's very money aware, financial aware right now. And so if you're in a situation, whether you're a chain or whether you're a, a mom and pop operation, whether you're, if you're in a fragile balance sheet situation, you're probably not going to make it, not at least not in the form that you currently, you currently have. But I think generally speaking, I like, I'm, a, I'm a, a big fan of underdogs, and I think mom and pop operations tend to be underdogs in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I like their chances in this uh, because of that control issue. Well, and they're they're certainly nimble, or they can be nimble, and so they can react. Or they can do all the things that we've been talking about. They can test an idea. If it doesn't work, they can change, turn on a dime, try something else, and that kind of um, energy. Uh, can you know? Is there is there sa is there saving grace? Do you think it's uh, talk about employees that work for mom and pops for a minute? Do you think it's easier or going to be harder for um, mom and pops to retain employees versus some of the chain operators? I think it's maybe easier in the short term because I don't know how fast the other operators are going to be are going to be bringing people back. 
So it's again this quick reaction nimbleness that the uh, operate that the independents uh, have that they can that they can that they can you know grab people give people oppor- give people opportunities. Yeah, I think that if uh, if I'm an employee, a longtime employee with a mom and pop operation, I'm probably helping them get back on their feet kind of thing. I'm probably working, maybe we're not even being compensated for, but I, I, I'm more attached to it. If I'm a short-term employee, I'm probably looking at other industries, let's put it that way, uh, to go to work uh, because the restaurant industry is a tough business. There's no question. Um, and I think that entry-level employees, uh, they're going to be they're going to be harder to get, uh, whether you're a chain or a mom and pop. But I think long-term, uh, long-term employees, yeah, my guess is is they'll they'll come back to where they're most comfortable, and there seems to be something beyond a paycheck for some of the employees that you see in mom and pop operations, no matter where they are in the country. But don't forget, a lot of other industries have been hammered, and uh, are and there's they're going to be very slow to take back people. So there is going to be labor on the streets, perhaps not uh, experienced in food service, but. Uh, but uh, certainly uh, labor is going to be uh, available. Yeah. One of the things too, I think one of the big uh, issues I think for um, uh, independent operators has got to be the physical space, how they can navigate their way through uh, the relationship with either a landlord or their banker has to be a real big issue as well. Um, I I think chains probably have a little bit more leverage with that, but a mom and pop uh, on one hand probably has less leverage, but also probably has a lower uh, cost for that space. Would you agree? I would. And, and I think that, you know, there's, there's going to be, there is going to be horror stories, but, you know, generally speaking, you know, landlords and banks, they, they want to keep that uh, independent operator in their space and viable because it's important for cash flow and also to keep the, uh, you know, their other tenants uh, uh, viable and, and, and in place. So, so I think that there is going to be um, compromises made along the way. When it comes to the protocols that we spent some time talking about in our first segment, what do you think the advantages of a mom and pop would be in the protocols uh, going forward, uh, right out of the box, uh, so to speak, with uh, when they reopen, and then maybe even down the road? Do you th- what are some of those advantages that mom and pops may uh, may have over chains? Well, again, the, their size, their nimbleness. So if they decide that we're going to uh, institute a certain policy or a certain practice, they can do that in a matter of minutes. Whereas a chain, they have to train their people and institute policies and uh, and uh, and get it vetted, and and it's just it's a much it's a much longer process. It's just a matter a matter of of uh, being able to re- to think through things and react quickly. I would guess that uh, chains um, are, and I'll use this term gently, uh, held hostage by uh, probably a team of attorneys someplace in some uh, boarded away in some office building um, that are preventing them from making any changes. Attorneys that typically run the world in large companies and uh, with a small mom and pop operation, if, you know, if they open up, for lunch on Monday and they decide by dinner on Monday that they're not doing something they should be, they make the change and they go with it. 
I think you're right. I think that that nimbleness and that uh, that ability, that ability to be agile and adjust as we go. Uh, you know, you might wake up day three of operations and say, "Oh, we should have been doing this all along. Let's do it now." Looking looking forward, I've been, as as for people that have been listening to us on um, every other Thursday, the every other Thursday podcast. I've been traveling way, a lot. By the way, I just interrupt you for a second, just so our listeners know that every other Thursday uh, podcast. We, we air it every other Thursday, just if you're looking for it. It comes out every other Thursday at everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. That's the plug. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, so I, I travel a lot and uh, always looking at, at uh, food service. And um, up to this point, what I've seen in places, uh, and these are kind of more cutting edge in terms of uh, of what's going on in food service, but like Portland, Oregon, and um and here in Chicago or and in London where I've been is that uh, after I have after I've been absent for a couple of just a couple of years you go back and you see that there's been a big vacuum as retail small retailers have been hammered and those that vacuum has been filled in many cases with independent restaurants so where there was a small shop retail shop now there is a food service operator in there or there has been up until now and so food service uh independents have done a fantastic job of, of filling that vac and filling that vacuum and uh there's and, the, and they can occupy because they're low cost relatively speaking they're low overhead uh to uh to to chains and bigger operations they can again i'm i i know i'm sounding like a broken record but they're, they're nimble they can react quickly they can fill niches uh they can change directions and um and uh, a lot of them are really trying to dial down or they had been and I, this is a, important going forward in terms of the costs and and the type of operations they have. For example, I was once in the sous vide equipment business, so I really watched that a lot. And I was in uh, Philadelphia, and I saw a Bon Me sandwich operation, and the whole operation was run with eight sous vide uh, thermal circulators, and and that's the whole place. And then I've heard about or I've seen in London and New York uh, operations where they sell. High, very high quality tinned Mediterranean seafood. So basically, you go and choose your the the tin, the sardines, the the uh, uh, smoked oysters, all these very high end uh, products, and you're served right out of that tin with uh, with bread and uh, very simple, maybe a salad and and lemon and and a drink. And I get, and I'm not in any way advocating these, but these particular uh, type of concepts. But that's the I think the kind of small niche ideas that are very low in terms of uh, overhead that are going to be we're going to be seeing a lot more of going forward. I think whether you're a chain or whether you're an independent, the crux of it is is that if you've built your brand up to this point on integrity and trust with your dining guests, and you carried that through, through this interim period with your takeout and your carryout. I keep coming back to Chick-fil-A. Um, I think Chick-fil-A uh, restaurants are opening today in Georgia. And I think Chick-fil-A made the statement that they're not going to open today. They'll do it on their terms. And I think that just projects, again, that trust and integrity that that brand has built with its customer base. And I think if you, if whether you're an independent or a chain and you've done that, 
that will get you that will give you a shot to get your success get back on a success uh, trajectory uh, when you when the reopening occurs as long as you continue that trusting uh, that trusting approach, that uh, integrity with how you go to market. Um, but I think if you're if you're somebody who's been built on price and inexpensive food, and I wouldn't say lack of integrity, but but that has, if trust hasn't been a part of your brand messaging, it's going to be tough to build it now. Uh, because those optics, as you talked about in the first segment, the optics of when people first enter the restaurant are going to be really, really critical. I agree. And my dog Brody agrees. And you might have heard him agreeing a little bit earlier. Brody the Wonder Dog. Yeah. We love Brody. We love Brody. Greg, uh, any last words before we want to close up this session? It's been a great session. Great to have you back on Seat Yourself uh, on our On the Frontline series. But any last thoughts and comments you want to make? Well, it's easy for me to sit here and, 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 and say that uh, there are opportunities on the horizon, but I do believe there are opportunities out there. And, but I just say, uh, tread lightly, go slowly, and, put, and sharpen those pencils to make sure that what you're going to be doing is actually going to be helping profitability, not just increasing, not just increasing uh, the top line. You want, to, you want to maintain the bottom line. You know, Greg, uh, one of the things that I'm amazed at through all of this, and there's stories coming out every day, first and foremost, about the resilience of the food service and the hospitality industry. Boy, the, uh, it's a tough business to be in, but the people in it are tough as well. And and I and I and I and I mean that sincerely. Some of the, uh, the you know, you, you hear some of the stories that people are doing now just to stay alive. Uh, it really uh, warms your heart. Second thing I love is the creativity and the innovation that people have done to take white tablecloth restaurants and turn them into takeout and carry out specialists overnight, which they did, turned on a dime, some of them. Uh, that Just phenomenal, the creativity that's happening right now. So I really think through resilience, being the resilient business that it is and the creative and innovative industry that it is, I'm really excited about uh, getting these restaurants back open and seeing what we see because this book has not been written on how to come out of a, a pandemic like we have right now. The book is being written as we speak, almost on a daily basis. Greg, thanks for joining us today. And for those of you who uh, want to get a little more Greggy, uh, uh, go to everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. You'll find him there. He's there every other Thursday, strangely enough. And I appreciate everybody joining us today. Uh, we'll be back at you next Monday with another edition of Seat Yourself. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Well, that's it for this week's episode as we continue our On the Front Lines mini-series. You can certainly feel the anticipation that's out there in our industry to begin this reopening, but certainly it's not going to be easy or fast. As we continue our conversations in our On the Front Line mini-series, we'll keep bringing you the thoughts and the comments from industry experts from all corners of our listening audience. And if you want to hear more from Greg Kirish, you can check out our other podcast every other Thursday. And that website is everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. So again, I want to thank Greg for joining us today. And I especially want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us today on our 72nd episode of Seat Yourself. I'm Dave Turner, and we'll see you here right here next week with our new episode of Seat Yourself. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, be sure to check out tabletopjournal.com.